Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations and metrics and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I am joined today by an expert coach and mentor to agencies. He's been helping agencies for over 20 years scale through that pesky million-dollar gross ceiling, which we're going to spend a lot of time talking about today and dissecting and get into that 3 to $5 million range where they can really thrive and become profitable. He runs a firm called Anchor Advisors, and he's here today to break down that first and most important gross ceiling that so many agencies run into, the million-dollar growth ceiling. So with that, Brad Ferris, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Marcel. It is a pleasure. This is a topic that I'm very excited to dig into because anyone that I have ever talked to that has worked with agencies for any period of time recognizes that there is just this very clear pattern of like the $1 million mark, you know, eight to 10 ish people. There's like a people get stuck there. There's all these like um, I'm going to call them base camps that as agencies yeah. try to scale up the mountain, there's these large groups of them that hang out in these base camps. And it's like the 1 million, three to 5 million. Then again, at the $10 yeah. million dollar mark, that seems yeah. to be this very, very big correlation of people kind of getting stuck around that stage. And today we're going to talk about the million dollar mark specifically go deep on that. So I'm fired up about this conversation, Brad, I'm ready for it. But before we get into all that, uh, why don't you in your own words, uh, share who you serve and what you do? Sure. Uh, I work with founder-led agencies, um, creative firms, uh, who want to grow through that million-dollar barrier. And typically, they've come to the point where they realize that they are the problem. They are the reason that the business isn't growing, right? And so we work in a coaching and mentoring relationship to help the business owner to change their own behavior so that the organization can grow. Awesome. So you've been doing this for a long time. What got you into this space and why solve this problem specifically? <laughs> That's a great story. I, I came out of a manufacturing background where I was buying founder-led businesses for a billionaire family because the problem with billionaires is their kids think they should make more money than their parents, but they haven't done anything to add anything to the pie. And so we were buying businesses that we thought would grow to be able to put gas in the jets and you know feed the horses and all that kind of stuff. And... Um, after doing that for about 10 years, uh, we came to a point where the market really su sucked. In, in 2000, the, the, the M&A market was super frothy. There was nothing to buy. And so I went out on my own thinking I could switch sides of the table and start working for the entrepreneurs. And one of my first clients was an agency. And coming from manufacturing, when I saw the agency business, I was like, wait a minute. I just have a desk, a computer, and a phone, and I put someone in there, and that person makes money? Like, there's no inventory, there's no CapEx, there's no, you know, it's this is like business on easy mode. And so I just wanted more of that. Like, <laughs> this looks really fun. And so that's, that's how I got started in the agency world, and have just more and more of my clients have been in the agency world until probably 2015. It was the majority of my business, and I kind of never looked back. And now for those listening, right, there's, there's some nuance here in the language because you could frame it as being 
easy. It's actually now I think the insight is it's simple, but not easy, right? Well, the simplicity can be misleading. And I think that's the trap that, you know, when you, you kind of get the start, start your social media agency gurus that are yeah. selling courses on how to start your agency, yeah. they'll all talk about how simple it is. But the reality is scaling this service business model is not easy, even though mechanically it's, it's a very simple business model. So, um, that really dovetails nicely into this growth ceiling. So right around a million dollars, I see it all the time. People get stuck and for everyone's context, we are kind of crossing over that chasm at the moment. And so it's very topical that we're talking about this day because we've had to go through the process of trying to get past that, um, that ceiling ourselves. So first of all, why do agencies get stuck right around a million dollars? Well, if you think about what uh, caused an agency to get to a million dollars, a lot of it was the founder's own hustle and hard work. I mean, certainly when when the business was getting started, that's all there was, right? You as the agency founder were out selling the work and then you run back to the office and you do the work and then you run back out and sell some more work. And and initially what what we do is we hire arms and legs. We hire people that can do parts of the thing, whatever the thing is for us. But so we create sort of a hub and spoke system where we have team members around us, but we're smack dab in the middle. And so what we grow is a bottleneck. We grow ourselves as being the thing that controls or limits the growth of the business. And in order for us to grow, and, and, and that kind of maxes out, like most, for most founders, that maxes out about 800,000, 900,000, like you said, six, eight, 10 people. Um, when, when you have co-founders, partners, sometimes you can get to a million two or a million five, but the same thing tends to happen around that, you know, you, you can stretch it a little bit further, but it still gets stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And so what is the key then to really getting the right infrastructure in place to be able to go past that million dollar mark and then accelerate to, and this is the other funny thing that I've noticed, right, is the growth in between these plateaus yeah. tends to be very quick. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I don't think that's by accident, right? So right. what is the infrastructure that allows somebody to then go to that next stage? So I, I hinted early on that you are the problem right? You're the bottleneck, but it's not just that you're the bottleneck. It's that you're thinking about your role, your job in the organization is to, you know, dish out all this stuff and keep all the plates in the air. And you just can't do that at some point, right? So the, the maturity point there is that the business owner or the founder realizes that they need to get out of the service delivery. So you have to stop delivering services to clients. And that, that can be kind of an existential moment for people like, well, wait a minute, I'm the guy. This is what I do. And, and in fact, clients are used to buying from you and seeing your face show up. But that, that is the primary thing that needs to change is that you need to get out of the service delivery business. Yeah. And, you know, there's, I think there's an important psychological aspect to this. I call it like the founder led sales handbrake, where yeah. there, there is a very challenging psychological and it, you're not always aware of it, but like I sell a lot worse when we're busy. 
because there's a part yes. of me that does not want yes. to make that That's sale. Exactly right. Like when I'm still involved in the work, right? So at times yeah. when, you know, somebody's on vacation or I'm getting pulled back in or at the time, you know, which was actually fairly recently that I was still very much involved in client work. When we started to get really full and a client was pushing to kind of start earlier, like there was this, there's this anxiety it's, and it does have an impact on your ability to sell. And that handbrake is very sinister. And I think that's the reason that you see people's kind of revenue um, look like a, a bit of a roller coaster when the founder is still, still has that handbrake tied into the business. And so breaking that, I agree, is like really, really a critical thing. Um, anything else that you need to make sure you do at this stage or is that basically the big lever is disconnect yourself from client delivery? So when you disconnect yourself from client delivery, um, the temptation is I just need to find someone who is just like me, right? Because I'm the only one that can do this job. So I need to find a perfect match for me to do the job that I was doing. You're not going to find that person, right? That, if that person existed, they would be running their own agency. <laughs> so the, the, as you're moving out of the, of the client delivery or the service delivery, you really need to start thinking about breaking that job down into what are the things that other people can do and, and particularly separating out the sales role, the management, the, the working on the business role, and the working in the business role. And if you can get those separated, you can hire for that working in the business role. There are a lot of people out there who, who can do that work. But if you don't untangle those things, you're looking for Superman. And, and Superman is hard to find and really expensive. Yes, this is a really, really important insight. And this is something that we talk a lot about on the show. And we, we were able to do it ourselves. And I can't imagine how hard how much like this is hard, right? This has been hard. Yes. But it would have been so much harder had we not done this. But one of the things I like to tell people who are early on solo founders and are just kind of starting to grow is like, even if you're still doing all the work, track your time in terms of the hats that you wear, right? Yeah. Maybe there's three or four primary ones. So when it comes time to start buying back your time, you have some clarity on like, oh, okay, the first thing I should do is buy back the project management time. Yeah. And you know how much it's going to cost, you know how much time it's going to take. And to your point, trying to find these multi-skilled people it makes it very hard to scale because you're looking for a needle in a haystack. You're looking yeah. for unicorns. It's fleeting. And then you end up with just golden man um, effects in the business where it's mm -hmm. like, if that person leaves, now you're screwed as a, a founder. And that is now what you know keeps me up at night is like, if this person left, I'd be screwed. I'd have to go find all this time in my calendar that's non-existent, right? It's a scary thing. So um, I think that's a really important insight is start to break these things apart and accept that, um, you know, the expectation is probably that somebody takes more time than you do. Like it's going to be more expensive and it's going to be less efficient usually yes. than um, yes. you doing it on your own because yeah. you're dealing with normal um, human beings or even exceptional human beings. But let's just assume that you listening to this as an agency founder are an incredibly exceptional human being. And so it's unrealistic to expect people to be at that level. And, and it's, that's one of the reasons why around this level, people tend to make significant price increases. Like I'm talking about for the same level of work, you double your fees because you need to have that margin in there to be able to hire those people and tolerate the fact that they're not going to be as efficient at, at it as you are. And so, you know, and, and the, a lot of people challenge me, like, how can I double my fees, Brad? Well, you're offering a much different solution to your clients than you did before. You, you've reduced a lot of the risks that they're taking. You're getting better at what you're doing. 
And actually, this person that you're hiring is delivering a better level of service. That's part of why it takes them longer, because, because they're actually paying more attention to what's going on there. And so you can charge more, uh, like I said, significantly more in order to make room for those other people. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to paraketo.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. With that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. Yeah. One thing I'm curious to get your input on is one of my observations is at this stage, a lot of times a lack of just, it doesn't have to be advanced, right? But even just very rudimentary systems to measure performance, measure, you know, client satisfaction, profitability, time versus budgets, like just the basics, utilization rates, like the very core uh, KPIs. If there is none of that, that can compound this tendency for founders to, you know, have trouble letting go because there's no visibility, right? And which t- makes complete sense. They don't have visibility, so they need to get back into the trenches to try and get it, especially if some things go wrong and then they start to get jaded. And, yeah. and I've seen that pattern play out to where if it goes on long enough, it creates a belief system that holds that founder back from ever scaling past that point because they don't believe that people are fundamentally capable or good or, or what have you. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's been your experience around kind of the, the measurement side of things to help support and create the confidence for somebody to cross that chasm? So uh, this is a really deep uh, challenge that, that extends beyond this transition and into that sort of three to five million dollar company transition. What we have those people who need accountability, they need to show that they're demonstrating that they're progressing in their career and that therefore they, you know, they, they have efficacy. Um, so they will start to create measurement systems if you haven't created one, because, because they want to show that they're making progress, right? They want the gold stars on their report card. And so what we end up with is this um, variety of measuring systems that people create and and mostly people are creating them for themselves. I want to make sure that my project is profitable. I want to make sure that I'm more efficient at this than I was the last time. And so you end up with this sort of nascent information system that when you start to pull the data together, it starts to not add up because people are tracking it in different ways and people are measuring different things. And so uh, initially, we attempt to do that kind of measurement with real ad hoc systems, spreadsheets here and there. You know, we might have a CRM, something like that. As your organization grows, now you get to 20 people or 25 people. Those, those information systems completely fall apart. And you have to start adopting a more unified information system where you have one source of truth so that, you, so that everybody is looking at the same set of data. And so the earlier that you start to do that in your agency development, the less painful that is when you finally get there. And I'm not saying go out and, you know, adopt a big agency management tool, but to the extent that you can, 
centralize on how you're measuring success for each of the roles in your organization. And even if it's on spreadsheets at the beginning, like everybody's measuring it the same way. Everyone agrees that this spreadsheet is the spreadsheet that we look at. Those kind of answers, because you're right, that starts to, that starts to, especially for you as the CEO, when your hands aren't on the wheel anymore, that information is all you see. That's, you know, like we talk about the, the pilot that's flying based on instruments. You have to trust the numbers that are coming out of your system. And if they're ad hoc, it gets really dicey. Well, this has been a great sales pitch for Paraquito. I appreciate you indulging me on this, Brad. <laughs> just to double click on that for a moment, like utilization is such an easy example of this. I, anytime I go into an organization where there's a legitimate kind of operations team now built out and there's a couple yeah. of different people uh, on that team that are looking at metrics, almost every single time when I go to the project managers and then the operations person and then the founder and I ask them, how do you measure utilization? <laughs> I get a different answer, right? And why is that? Well, of course, it's because exactly your point. Um, you know, everybody started measuring the thing. And then at some point, the founder, like, I don't know, was it at an event or read a blog post and was like, we need to track utilization. So he just goes and tells his team that. So now the project manager is tracking it based on delivery capacity, because that is a bias that helps them look like they're performing well. Right. And delivery utilization is a great project management um, you, it's a great me metric for them because it, it does help us understand well, how much of the available capacity are you allocating to the team? Great. Operations are usually doing it in a slightly different way. And so there's usually some kind of in-between of like delivery capacity versus gross capacity. And the founder, they really care about, well, how much of the payroll that I'm buying every month is being... So those are different calculations. And then the billable hour definition tends to change a lot too, depending on like somebody's perception. And the biggest one with this is like internal time where people are like, oh, yes. well, this time on the company website was billable. And it's like, well, it was productive, but is it billable? And mm -hmm. and all of this, right, like these nuances multiplied by five or six different metrics causes all kinds of problems. And it's, it's exactly what you've described. So I think that's an astute observation. Any other key mistakes that you see at this point as people try to solve their way out of this that um, holds them back from getting to the outcome? Let me jump off of the, what you were just saying, and then I'll come back to that question. That's okay. Um, one of the ways to solve for this is if you run your standing meetings, like you have a production meeting every week and you have a business development meeting every couple of weeks. So you have these standing meetings where you're helping to coordinate people's activity. Run that meeting out of the system. So if you have Parakeeto, you pull up the, the list of projects and you're walking through the projects in the production meeting so that you're focusing everyone that this is the one source of truth. And if someone comes to you and says, oh yeah, but I, I just didn't update that. You say, well, this is what I'm looking at. This is what's true. If you haven't updated it, you know, I don't know what to do about you because this is what's true. And the more you focus your attention on one system, the more everyone else will put their information in there because that's how they get their gold stars, right? So if you as the business owner have a big hand in pushing that in a particular direction. Yeah, 
and, and it's so like we did not rehearse this by the way anyone that's listening but like this is such a fundamental concept for us because when you think about like well timesheet compliance and people not following the conventions like that exercise regulates so many of those issues so because your team sees how those mistakes that they make actually impact exactly. the conversation it it leads you to conclusions that are not in line with what actually happened right yeah. and when they start actually seeing the rubber hit the road yeah. that corrects so many of these compliance issues that people run into yeah yeah as soon as you pull up a, a project profitability report and someone's like oh but that all that time wasn't all used there you're like yes it was as soon as that's where it is in the system that <laughs> is what it is right yeah. <laughs> i mean then 100%. that starts to you, you don't have that problem anymore <laughs> All right, we've talked about a lot of stuff. We've really gone deep into this million dollar ceiling. So to summarize, agency gets stuck here for all kinds of reasons, but a lot of it is essentially the founder being a bottleneck. Yep. In order to get out of that bottleneck, it's about understanding a new management paradigm shift in terms mm -hmm. of going from being the person that controls everything to now empowering, creating accountability among other team members. It's about ideally reducing the complexity of the business such that these systems can be delegated to other people that do not have the incredible range of context and judgment that you have as a founder. Yeah. And then it's about protecting the business from indigestion, which means having the right margins, having the right scope, having the right processes and actually ingesting business that is in line with the operating model that you've set up. Anything else we should be keeping in mind before we move on to the next set of problems you will unlock, which is the wonderful thing about business. You just, you get better problems next. So we'll That's talk about right. those, but anything right. else that gets us to unlock that next round of problems at the three to five million mark. So one of the things that's implicit that we didn't talk about here is that you're going to hire a lot of people. Like if you're going to go from an agency of six to an agency of 25, you're going to, it's not just that you have 20 more people. You've probably hired 50 more people to end up at 20 more people, right? And you're terrible at hiring. I'm just going to say that right now. You're, the chances are you're you're not very good at this, and it's a skill that's some, that you can learn, but it's also a skill that you can buy. And so, find someone who can help you to do that recruiting because having that empty seat, like you just mentioned, if, if you hire someone to, to to for service delivery and they leave or they're the wrong person, now you have to do that job plus the job that you've created for yourself. It's super painful, and so find someone to help you to do the recruiting probably on a contract basis by the time certainly by the time you're 50 you've got a, a, a full-time person but maybe at 25 you might even have a full-time person but somewhere along the way there you need to find someone to help you do that hiring that is a big insight I, it's it's the thing you don't really think about but it's like yeah you probably have hired 50 people to get to the 20 that actually stick around and man if you've done it once you know it's a time-consuming process super um, time-consuming you know. yes and it's a big investment and uh, yeah, definitely a thing you're going to want to get good at. I love it. So with that in mind, what are some of the things we should be now thinking about? We've, we've gotten through the million dollar mark. All that stuff is in place. We're flying and it's a, it's a quick path to two, three, four, five million dollars. Yep. And then bonk, we're going to hit another wall. What right. are some of the things we should be thinking ahead of uh, in terms of the challenges we'll face at that next stage? So just to give you some context, only 4% of American businesses are greater than a million dollars. So to make it to a million dollars, you're already in rare air. You know, you're, you're in the NCAA in a sports context. To get to $5 million, now you're at 0.4%. So only one in 10 businesses that makes it to a million is gonna make it to 5 million. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. 
sometimes it's okay to just be 2 million. Like maybe the business is fine and you're making all the money you want and it's okay. So I, I want to put that kind of on bookends there. But if, if you want to grow past that $5 million place, now the transition at a million was going from being an individual contributor to being a leader. At five million, you're being a leader of leaders now. You know, there's another layer of management that gets involved there. Um, to do that, you have to professionalize your sales process. I, at a million, I want the business owner to stay involved in sales. You're still going to be the best salesperson. At five million, you can't be involved in that either. Only the biggest deals are for you. You have to be spending a lot more time outside your agency than you do inside your agency. You're looking for what are the trends? What are the problems my clients are having? Where is this industry going? So that Because the changes that you're making in your business aren't going to hit the ground for another year because now you're so far away from where the business is on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's a good thing. You have a lot more leverage now. Because when you do steer the ship, you're steering a much larger ship. The next, the other thing that's going to come into play in that realm is whether or not you want to take on other people's money. Um, there's opportunities for acquisitions or for using some private equity money to grow your business a lot more rapidly. And that for most people is a whole new world that you need to learn a whole lot about. And so those are the things that I start to talk to people about in that four to $5 million range. And I think this is a good um, insight into like, and this is why I see business as the ultimate personal development exercise, right? Holy because as 100%. the founder, right, the, the goalpost only ever moves. I mean, yeah. Apple is a trillion dollar with a T company. There is no ceiling to this. And being the CEO of a company is a different job, right, at each stage of growth. And you might not like that job, yeah. right? You What you might have described just now to some people might have been like, oh, God, that sounds terrible. I don't yes. want to spend my days doing that. And that is the insight, which is like, yeah, that maybe that's the case. And so maybe you just don't go there and you let go of that desire that is, you know, I know in my case, a lot of that stuff is ego driven or it's about an insecurity. It's about wanting to prove something. Mm -hmm. and, and all this is about vanity um, as opposed to like genuinely being interested in the problem solving that you will have to do as a founder at that level and the growth and the skills that you'll have to develop. So keep that in mind. Um, maybe you really do want to be a $5 million agency, but understanding just having a small glimpse into what that job actually is. Maybe you don't. And uh, then the focus should just be on let's get to the place where I enjoy my day-to-day -day, and then let's make that very profitable. I, I have uh, two clients right now that, you know, <laughs> one of them was complaining to me last month. He's like, Brad, I, I feel terrible. I'm only working like three hours a day and I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life. And I'm like, you know, that's called winning. That's, that's a good thing. You should be proud of that. Like you're my hero right now. And so that that's possible in that two, $3 million range to, to not have to put a lot of hours in and still pull a lot of money out of the business. So if that's, if that's a way you want to go, that option is there, or you can take that money and plow it into growth and keep going with the business. So there's, there's lots of options as you get bigger. There's, the funny thing is there's almost not an option at a million because you're going to kill yourself if you don't make the transition. But <laughs> Yeah. And, and just, you know, to attest to that, it's like, 
that was the, what we ran into at Parakeeto this year, where it was like, okay, this is as big as it's going to get as the Marcel Petipas show, mm-hmm. um, with you know a team around him basically, and, a, and an amazing co-founder that is like behind the curtain. <laughs> Nobody knows he's there, but he's incredible. Um, and then we had the conversation like, okay, do we stop here or do we keep going? And both of us immediately agreed, okay, no, we want to get through this next trench, but you got to, it's like going around a berm turn in mountain biking. If you hesitate, you will fall off the bike. So you have to fully commit, go through the turn. It's been a lot of hard work, but we're coming out the other end. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited about this next phase. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a very deliberate decision, and um, it's not to say that there's no turning back. But it, it's gonna it's gonna really suck if you decide halfway through it that it's not what you want anymore, because it'll have been a big investment of time and money. When you make that decision and you start hiring those better people to your team, and and you you and I talked about this right before we got on, that a you increase your costs, right? So you're taking your profit and you're giving it to someone else in a salary, and then b you're also making your time situation worse because now you're training and developing someone to do something that you were doing before. So you just reduced your income and increased your hours. And so in the short term, it really feels like it's going backwards. And, and, and this is where having an advisor who's been through this before can really come in play because it can feel like I've done something terrible. I'm going the wrong way. I just need to go back, right? But what you need to know is when you get to the bottom of that hill, there's another side of that hill where things come up on the other side. And what you, if that's true, you want to have this be the shortest period of time possible, not the longest period, right? And the worst thing you can do is to get stuck down here at the bottom where you're trying to get over that hump for years and years and years because that stinks. So you want to get through that transition as quickly as you possibly can. Here's hoping that today's episode has created the clarity for those that are coming up on or perhaps currently at the bottom of that growth trench. I've been calling it a growth trench because that's really what it feels like it is. Um, to get through it more quickly, come out the other side and uh, you know take a nice big deep breath of fresh air as they um, get themselves out of client delivery. What a dream that is. Um, so with all of this, Brad, this has been uh, just a fantastic conversation. One of my favorite discussions we've had on the show so far. I'm sure there's lots of other people listening that feel the same way and want to hear more of you in their ears or see more of you on their screen. Where should they go on the internet to find you? Uh, anchoradvisors.com is, is our uh, company website. I'm at BL Ferris, F-A-R-R-I-S, on Twitter, although I'm not there very often anymore. I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit at Brad Ferris. All right, awesome. So links to Brad's Twitter, LinkedIn, and of course his website, Anchor Advisors. In the show notes, just scroll down and you'll be able to click right on that and get connected to Brad. With that, Brad, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, thanks for, yeah, just thanks for spending the time. Yeah, it's been great. great. I I love talking about this. I could talk about this all day. And for those of you listening at home, let us know wherever you're listening to this, what you got from the show. We love hearing from you. Absolutely. Leave a comment, send us an email, reach out. We always love hearing what's striking value so we can make sure we create the best possible content for you. So uh, reach out and let us know. We will see you on the next episode. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. And it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, 
go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener and we will see you on the next episode.
Cheers.